Hey, hey, welcome to church. We are so glad that you're here. If we haven't met, my name is Chelsea and I am married to my incredible husband of 22 years. He's, in fact, he just amened himself. So <laughs> thank you, my love. Um, but we are not here to talk about Judah, even though he's great. We are here to talk about Jesus because he's better than Judah. So <laughs> he sure is. You know, church home, I love you so much. And I am really believing for incredible things in your life. In fact, the Bible says that God does exceedingly, abundantly, above and beyond all that we can ask or think. And I don't know about you, but I read scriptures like that. And it just leads me to this place of incredible expectation for great things. But you know, it, life and following Jesus isn't just about where we go. It's also how we get there. And tonight I wanna to talk to, sorry, I feel like I'm low. I'm used to a chair with a camera, but not a chair with people. And so I'm not liking it because I feel far away. So I'm gonna stand. Um, I wanna to talk to a group of people and people who feel like you have been let down, that you've been following Jesus and maybe you expected to get one thing and you didn't get that. You expected that if I keep doing this and if I do this the right way, then this is going to be the result that I'm going to get. And maybe you found yourself not getting that result. Or maybe you found yourself feeling like I have to get everything right and I have to do everything perfect so that I can get the results that I'm believing for and what I want. Anybody ever been there? And so we live under so much pressure or maybe you're raising kids or like me raising teenagers feeling like I have to do everything exactly right so that they will do everything exactly right so that they can live this quote unquote blessed life. And so I wanna talk to us tonight and really I believe set us free from that kind of living and mentality. But first, can we pray together? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. And Jesus, we do thank you that it is your word that sets us free and gives life. And Lord, I ask in these next few moments that your word would truly give life and strength and hope to us and help us know you better and see you more. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you want a title for this talk, you can title this In Search of a Formula. In Search of a Formula. And yes, that is a math word. Anybody feel the way about math I feel? This is how I feel about math right now. I do not have a clue how to help my teenagers with their math homework. Or maybe you're a teenager and you have asked your parents for help with their homework and they did what I did and that is like, you know what? This looks very different than the math I'm used to. Let's go to Google. And I feel like, do I even need to parent my children anymore? They have Google, it has all of the answers. But it led me back to Algebra 2. I was a sophomore in high school in 10th grade and my math teacher was Mr. Andrew. And he was an extremely strict teacher, but I felt like I was going to have it made that year. And the reason I felt like I was going to soar through Algebra 2 was we started, we got the textbook and he told us that in the back of the book are the answers to half of the problems. Anybody have a math book like this? I was like, yes, I can crush this. I'm guaranteed at least a 50%. But what I didn't know at the beginning was that that was just the answers. But what I need to discover was the formula. And then I needed to take the formula and work it out right and make sure I did every step right in every like parentheses and comma and all of the things that I've completely forgotten. Because the only way to get the right answer was to have the right formula and then work it perfectly, and then we can get the right result. I don't know if you feel about life like I do sometimes, but sometimes does it feel like 
the only way to get the right result we want in life. And maybe you see it. Maybe you see it on Instagram and on this person's feed and that person's feed. Or maybe you see it, see it in the lives of your heroes, people who you feel like, oh, these guys just do everything right. Or you see it in your parents and you think they're just incredible. And you see this end result and you feel like the only way I can get to this blessed life, the only way I can get to this end result, the only way I can get to the exceedingly abundantly above and beyond all the things that we could ask or imagine that God has for me is if I find the right formula and then I work it perfectly and then I'll get a good result. And if we aren't careful, Christianity can very much become and church can become giving people the right formula and then helping them work it out perfectly and then telling them, then you're gonna get this exact result. And the reason why we can communicate that in Christianity is because it is human nature. It is human nature to look for a formula. I uh, randomly Googled, well, in preparation for this, the top best-selling self-help books of all time. And do you know what most of them are? Most of them are a formula. How about this? How to think and grow rich, right? It's like this promise is if you can think right, then you're going to grow rich. Or how about this one? The 1920s Dale Carnegie classic. Anybody know? How to win friends and influence people. I tried reading that and I realized I'm a mean person, so I'll just be, <laughs> I'll just be friendless. That formula is not going to work for me. But literally, I know it's kind of sad. But this book tells you if you do these steps that Dale promises you, then you too can win friends and influence people. But come on, can we be honest with ourselves? There are people who have read that book like me and still... Well, I have friends, but you know, <laughs> don't have as many friends as we want or don't know how to influence people. We're told all of these formulas, or how about this, this last self-help book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, right? If you want to be a highly effective person, if you want to maximize your life and make the most and be successful, you know, da, 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 I can't even do it. Impersonation of a, a, a pump up person. But if you want to be a highly effective person, all you have to have is these seven, form, these seven formulas, right? These seven habits. And then you have this formula and you too can be a highly effective person. But isn't it interesting that these are the best-selling best-selling self-help books? It's kind of a tongue twister. You can try it. And yet we still don't have all of those things that these books promised us we would have. But you know, our creator, God, he knows that as human beings, we have a tendency to look for a formula, that it is in our human nature. He knows that. And actually his book, the Bible, has a very unique relationship with formulas. In fact, the Bible actually has a lot of formulas for us to follow. And uh, if we aren't careful, they might lead us into a trap. And so I just want to spend the next few minutes just doing a really quick flyby overview of the Bible's relationship with formulas and then give us the Jesus formula for living. Does it sound good? So the Bible overview of a formula. I'll sit down now. I might feel better. The Bible starts with the first five books of the Bible is called the Pentateuch, which is the books of the law. And here we have, we end up with the final concluding book of the Pentateuch of the law is a book called Deuteronomy. Anybody ever heard, heard of Deuteronomy? It is also a tongue twister. But in the book of Deuteronomy, at the end, there it, it, 
it is a bunch of, I called them the if-than promises of the Bible. And when I was about 18 years old, I started reading the Bible. I didn't know how to read the Bible properly. And so I would read all of these and I would square all of the ifs. I would underline my Bible. I would circle my Bible, but only one thing got a square. And those were the if then promises of the Bible. And I would square them and think, yes, if I do this, then I will get this. Ooh, and if I don't do this, then I won't have these bad things happen to me. Like Deuteronomy 28 verse one, it says that if you faithfully obey all of the words of this law, if you obey everything that God asks you to do, then you will be blessed and all of these good things will happen to you. And here I am, a little 18 year old girl, and I'm like, yes, I want good things to happen to me. Or later on in Deuteronomy 28, I think it's verse uh, 15, it says the opposite. It says, hey, but if you will not obey the voice of God, there's the if, it says, then all of these curses will come upon you and overtake you. And it goes on to say, you'll be cursed in the city, you'll be cursed in the country, you'll be cursed when you go in, you'll be cursed when you go out. And so I found myself as an 18 year old just living this life of, okay, I need to make sure I do all of the ifs so that I get all of the vans and that's, it's in the Bible, right? I'm sitting there, I'm reading my Bible, think I'm do, thinking I'm doing all of the right things, but I'm finding myself just living under this pressure and this tension that, okay, I gotta do everything right if I want the blessing of God, if I want this blessed life that should be good. And you know, as the Bible goes on in our brief flyover overview of the Bible's relationships with formulas, you know what's so interesting in the Bible is then from Deuteronomy, it goes into First and Second Kings and Chronicles and the history of God's chosen nation, which is Israel and Judah at the time. And in this history, this formulaic living is played out. We see that if a king did good, he got good. And we see that if a king did bad, he got bad. For example, we see King Rehoboam, who was Solomon's son. He did bad. And it talks about him in 1 Kings 14. It says that because he did bad, this whole, because he didn't obey all the words of the Lord, this army came and conquered him. I'm like, well, I don't want an army to conquer me, so I better do everything right. And then later in 2 Kings, it talks about this King Hezekiah, who was a good king. And it says that because he did everything right, that everything he did prospered. I'm like, well, I want everything I do to prosper, so I better make sure I do everything right, right? Because I'm just reading the Bible, and like I said, I didn't know how to read it, but I, again, I'm circling all the ifs and all the thans or squaring them and just making sure and getting more and more uptight and more and more frustrated. But then I came to Job and Psalms. Have you ever read Job and Psalms? Job is fascinating because it comes right after the story of all these kings who did all the good and got the good and all these kings who did all the bad and got the bad. And then we get to Job. And the life of Job is distinctly different. The Bible says that Job was a righteous man. He was perfect before the Lord. God saw Job and saw that he hadn't done anything wrong. But do you know what happened to Job in his life? Destruction. He lost his wife. He lost his kids. He lost his business. And so here, this is smack dab in the middle of this Bible that's telling the story of good people who get good and bad people who get bad. And then here's this good man who got bad. And then beyond the story of Job, we'll answer that question in a minute, why did that happen? But beyond the story of Job, we come to the book of Psalms. Have you ever read Psalms? There's some beautiful Psalms, incredible songs to the Lord about how great he is. But the number one genre 
of Psalms is actually called a Psalm of Complaint. Do you know that in the book of Psalms? The number one, let me read to you one of these Psalms of Complaints. I think it is so fascinating. It says this in Psalms chapter 73, verse one, look, and this is an Israelite living under the, you do good, you get good, you do bad, you get bad mentality. And it says this, the psalmist says, he says, hey, truly God is good to Israel. God's good to those who are pure in heart. Hey, the people who are good and do the right stuff, yeah, they get good, they get good stuff. It's like he's trying to talk himself into it. He said, but as for me, my feet almost stumbled and my steps nearly slipped for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. This man living in this area, this era is saying, hey, God's good to the good people, but I, I, I almost lost my faith. My feet almost stumbled and my feet, and I almost slipped because I saw that people who were doing bad things were prospering. They were getting good things. Have you ever felt that way? I honestly wonder if this is one of the number one reasons people walk away from their Christian faith. One of the most horrific things in relationships is unmet expectations. I love my husband, he's so great. But when I have an expectation that he is going to come home and he is going to just kiss me and hug me and love me, and instead he comes home and he does something completely different. <laughs> I never do that. All of a sudden, I'm disappointed at him. And he actually hasn't done anything wrong. It's just that I had an expectation that he didn't know about and he didn't live up to. And I think in our relationship with God, our unmet expectations with God, because we feel like we read Deuteronomy, we read the lives of kings, we feel like I have this formula and I'm living it, I'm doing all the right things, but I'm not getting the result that I was promised. I was promised I'd be blessed everywhere and I'd be prosperous and I'm not getting that result. God, you're not who you said you were. I think you're a fraud and I don't know if I want anything to do with you. I've heard way too many of those stories in church life. And can I be honest with you? I've experienced it myself. I think one of the most difficult and challenging moments of this for me was right when we had began this campus in Los Angeles and uh, God called us to it. We loved it. And we were so passionate about doing church in Seattle on Sunday and church in Los Angeles on Wednesday. And we have this family mantra, we're the Smiths, what we do, we do together. And so I think when we started, the kids were three, five, and seven. And we packed them up on an airplane on Wednesdays and then did church Wednesday nights and then spent the night there and then packed them home home on Thursday and Friday and they did, did church on Sunday in Seattle and we loved it. I loved every minute of it. I don't have a doubt that we were doing what God told us to do. But yet in the process of that, I thought I was superwoman and I could handle it all. And I learned very quickly that I wasn't, I, I worked my body too hard to the point where I ended up with an autoimmune disorder that just stripped my energy for years and that I still have to fight for normal amounts of energy. And, you know, every morning when I take my medication, I just say, hey, God, thank you for this healthy body. Thank you that you've given me a body that I can still fulfill your call for my life. And I, I believe for healing and I believe for a miracle. But in that process, the conversations I had with God were, hey, God, I'm doing what you called me to do. I'm doing what you told me to do. I'm bringing my kids along because I, I don't want my kids to despise the church because they lost mom and dad to the church. And I'm going with my husband because we always want to be together. And God, I'm doing what you called me to do. And this is the blessing I get for it. 
no more energy, two years of really only being able to leave the house one day a week. And I had to plan for the whole week for the one time I could, I could leave. And my friends who were in that stage, remember, I, I, I was disappointed with God. I got to be honest, he did not meet up with my expectations. In 2010, in the housing market crash, do you remember that in, in, here in the United States of America? Judah and I had so many conversations with incredible individuals who paid tithes, who were consistent givers, who loved God, who were good stewards of their finances and just ended up upside down in their homes and had to be foreclosed on or had to short sell their homes and ended up in with seven years of bad credit, not being able to do what God, they felt like God had called them to do because their credit wasn't great. These are people who are doing the right thing. They're following the formula. And this is, the, this is what you get. You get your house foreclosed on and you get kicked out of your home when you have bad credit. Come on, God. And we sat across from people and had these conversations. I saw the look and the hurt in people's eyes and the disappointment of, hey, I am doing the formula right. Where is God? But do you know the good news about the story of the Bible? The Bible doesn't end in Job. It doesn't end in Psalms. The Bible goes on for a character named Jesus to enter the scene. And I know you know the story of Jesus and everything that he did, but let me just put it into this context of what we're looking for in search of a formula. See, Matthew 5, Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy the law. I didn't come to destroy all the if-thans. He said, but I came to fulfill them. I came so that they could be fulfilled and so they could be done away with and so that we could have a new kind of life. And do you know what the new kind of life that Jesus promised? He's sitting here, he's looking at this group of Israelites who had been living under this burden, living under this burden of a formula for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And you know what? They were tired because living under a formula makes you tired. And here's what Jesus said to them in Matthew chapter 11. This is from the message translation. Jesus said, are you tired? Are you worn out? And they were all like, yeah, this formula living is exhausting. Jesus said, are you burned out on religion? And what did Jesus offer them is a different way of life. He said, come to me, come to me. He said, get away with me and you will recover your life. He said, I'll show you how to take a real rest. And then he said, walk with me, work with me, and watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. What was Jesus' solution? Instead of saying, hey, here's a formula here, and so you can have guaranteed to have a good life. Jesus said, no, you're guaranteed to have rest if you walk with me, if you come to me. Jesus invited us into a relationship with him that's an everyday journey and lifestyle. You know, I committed 22 years ago to a life of living with one man, my husband, who I do love, even if he doesn't always meet my expectations, because oddly enough, he can't read my mind. Dang it. I thought after 22 years, he'd be able to read my mind, but he still can't. I have to voice him. It's a crazy thing. There's a little relationship advice for you. But you know, 22 years ago, on November 5th, 1999, 
I walked down the aisle of a church, and this was the 90s, so the decor was ugly, and there was, thank God, there was no Instagram. And um, walked walked down this aisle, and but there, there Judah was waiting, and we said vows to each other. And I know right now people write their own vows, and that's cool if you want to do that. But I am a sucker for the traditional vows. I love the dearly beloved, you're gathered here today in the sight of God and man. And I didn't cry all throughout the wedding until one point. And that was when Judah and I were standing, look at e- looking at each other, and we are committing, committing to walking with each other every day of our lives. And do you know what the vows were? That I'm gonna be your wife for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health. And what was I saying? I was saying that my relationship with you isn't contingent on my life being good. It's not contingent on me being healthy. It's not contingent on everything being great. I'm just here and I'm committing to a relationship with you. But here's the part that made me cry. When I looked into my soon-to-be husband's eyes and I said, and there too, I pledge you my faith. And the reason I cried in that moment was because I realized, I don't know what life is gonna bring, but I believe this man that I'm going to walk with is gonna be a good man and he's gonna be consistent in the good times and the bad times and the sickness and the health. And, And I teared up because you know what? It requires faith to walk with somebody. And it requires faith to walk with Jesus. Jesus said, come to me, walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. He invited us that we don't have to live by a formula, but we can live through relationship. But then we get to the epistles, the end of the Bible, and we actually do get a formula. Not great, I'm gonna give you what I've been talking against the whole time. We do get a formula. It's the only verse that's quoted three times in the epistles from the Old Testament. I'll read it to you here from Romans chapter one, but it's also in Hebrews and Galatians. It says this, for in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, here it is, the righteous shall live by faith. And here is the formula that we have for life, the way that we can get an expected result. And I'm gonna tell you what that result is in just a second. We do have a formula, and that is the righteous shall live by faith. Who are the righteous? Any person who has put their faith in Jesus, it's so amazing. The righteous are anybody who puts their faith in Jesus. In fact, in 2 Corinthians, and if you've been at church home, you've heard Judah quote this a bunch of times. It says that for our sake, God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, so that you and I might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The righteous is the free gift that you and I receive by putting our faith in Jesus, believing that he is a son of God and that he took on all of our wrong and gave us all of his right. And so you don't have to work for righteousness. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to deserve it. There's no formula except believing. So if you follow Jesus and if you don't, at the end of this service, at the end of this talk, I'm going to give you an opportunity to follow him and accept that free gift, which is one of the most incredible decisions you can make. Then you are the righteous. Then that is you. Then this formula is for you. So check one, we've all qualified. Don't have to do anything to earn it or deserve it. And then it says this, the righteous shall live. It doesn't say that the righteous shall be saved by faith. It doesn't say that the righteous will use faith in hard or difficult times. It says the righteous shall live. Do you know what living is? So simple. Living is an everyday walk. 
Living is an everyday decision. I don't know about you, but I live every day. Do you live every day? I think every human lives every day. It's just so, it's so simple, it's, it's, it's confusing. <laughs> the righteous shall live every day. What did Jesus say in Matthew 28? He said, hey, I want you to walk with me and work with me and watch how I do it. How did Jesus live his everyday life? He lived it with love. He lived it with people. He was never in a hurry. He was never anxious. He was never worried. When things went right, he was pretty even. When things went wrong, he was pretty even. When he didn't know what to do, he went and spent time with his father. He lived his everyday life. You and I living, righteous living by faith, it's just an everyday decision. It's simply an everyday decision to wake up in the morning and say, Jesus, I'm gonna walk with you today. And however that works for you, if it's a sticky pad you put on, if it's a sticky note you put on your mirror, if it's a cup of coffee and a Bible, or if it's like me when I take my medication, I have a moment where I say, Jesus, I'm living with you today. I'm walking with you today. This life I'm living today, it's not my own. It's not up to me. I'm gonna follow you today, Jesus. So our formula is the righteous, that's all of us, shall live, that's every day, and by faith. Faith is simply trusting. Trusting when things go good, trusting when things go go bad, that you can just keep going, that Jesus is still with you. But do you know that we have a very simple proof for how we can know if we are living this formula, right? Because back to my algebra two days in my math book, the answer was in the back of the book so we could know if we were doing it right. How do we, on this day and this moment where we're living, how do we know if we are the righteous who are living by faith? Do you wanna know? Super simple. What did Jesus say? He said, come to me, all you who are weary, all of you who are heavy, if you're tired, you're burned out. And what did he say he would give us? He said, and I will give you rest. When we are living by faith every day with Jesus, not by a formula that's based on our performance, but on a relationship that's based on walking with Jesus, we can rest. Do you know why we can rest? Because when things aren't going the way we expected, we don't have to look at ourselves and say, what am I doing wrong? What do I need to fix? What do I need to change? What do I need to, maybe if I was, maybe if I was skinnier, maybe if I was taller, maybe if I worked harder, maybe if I worked less, maybe if I, and do you ever find yourself in those moments when things aren't working right and you just turn and look at yourself and you think, what do I need to do different? What do I need to change? And we're not living in rest at that point. We're striving, we're focused on ourselves and on our own lives. But you know what also, also is amazing about walking with Jesus? We can rest when things are going good too. Because if you have success that came from walking with Jesus, you know what that means? Your own efforts didn't earn you that success. Your own energy didn't get you there. God got you there. Following Jesus got you there. And so when times are good, you can be in rest. And we can live this life. The just shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. And when we're living that way, we can know we're living that way because we're resting. And, you know, I just, I, I, this, is, this is not my message, but I just feel like I'm, um, You know, there's a verse that uh, Jesus said. He said, this crazy verse, he said, hey, you know what? Sabbath wasn't made for man, or sorry, man wasn't made for the Sabbath, but Sabbath was made for men. 
In other words, God said, I have a gift that, is, that I have given you. And it's a day of rest. It's a day of rest. And I know we're not religious or legalistic about what does it look like to have a day of rest. But can I just be super practical? How do you know if you're living by faith? Do you take advantage of the gift that God has given you? Do you take advantage of a day of rest? Maybe you're starting a business and you feel like you have to be on the grind and you have to work every single day because if you don't check those invoices or you don't check those orders that you're gonna miss out on something and you're finding yourself not living in rest because you think it's all up to you. Can I just encourage you, take advantage of the gift that God has given you, which is a day of rest. Whatever that looks like for you, Eugene Peterson, one of the greatest scholars of our generation said, a day of rest should be a day of praying and playing. A day of praying and playing. Taking a day that you do not accomplish one thing. You don't accomplish anything around the house. You don't accomplish anything work-related. You don't accomplish anything school-related. You actually take a day and rest. And do you know what that says? It says, hey, Jesus, I'm trusting you. I'm trusting that when I'm resting, you're working. And I am living by faith because I've been made righteous, not by my work, but because of your work. And God, I'm living by faith because I know that the end result of my life doesn't have to do with me finding the perfect formula and working it perfectly. But the end result of my life has to do with walking with Jesus and following him every day, every day. Can I pray for you? You bow your heads and close your eyes. All over. First of all, just want to make a, a call and an appeal. If you're in here and you'd say, you know, Chelsea, you talked about the forgiveness of God and the righteousness that he gives, but I haven't accepted that and I don't know what that is. And if that's you, all you have to do is simply lift up your hand, put it right back down. And if you're sitting by yourself, you're in a room with friends, it's so good for you to actually make that action because you can know if you, you can question if you prayed a prayer or thought a thought, but if you raised your hand, you know, I accepted that gift. So on the count of three, wherever you are, just raise your hand. One, two, three. Beautiful. Awesome. Thank you. I'm going to pray for you, Jesus. I thank you that you have given us righteousness, that you have given us forgiveness, that you are with us. And Lord, I pray for each one of these individuals who've just raised their hand. Lord, let them feel the overwhelmingness of your love and your acceptance and your forgiveness. Thank you, Jesus. And lastly, before we move into a time of singing and worship, I just wanna pray for you if you're tired. If you're listening to this and you're tired, maybe you're physically tired, maybe you're tired in your soul, Maybe you've been anxious, feeling like you have to get everything right so you can get a right result. Jesus, your loving Father, wants to give you rest. If that's you right now, just slip your hand up, put it right back down. Beautiful, awesome. Jesus, I thank you that you give us rest. Lord, when we don't know where to go or what to do or how to find it, Jesus, we pray that you would come and you would give us rest. Lord, I pray specifically for my brothers and sisters who raised their hand and said, I'm tired. God, I pray that you would right now in these next moments of music and worship, God, don't wait until tomorrow. I'm not asking for a week from now. I pray right now in this moment, you would bring refreshing that comes from your spirit, that comes from your life, that comes from your love. Jesus, we thank you that you're real and you're with us and you give us rest. We take that rest. 
we can live at peace. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.